0: Thanks for listening to Marketing B2B Tech, the podcast from Napier where you can find out what really works in B2B marketing today.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to our first recorded webinar on the latest trends in the industry. Trends within the industry is something we look at quite regularly, so we thought it'd be a good topic for us to chat about. I'm Hannah, the Business Development Manager at Napier, and I'm with Mike, Managing Director of Napier. Mike, let's start with what you think is the most interesting research we've completed this quarter.
0: Thanks, Hannah. Well, the really interesting thing we did was we actually asked um, B2B publishers how well they're doing. Um, and I think, um, you know, despite what you hear, um, and clearly the market isn't easy, um, but things are not as bad as you might think. And in fact, um, of all the B2B publishers we talked to, 68% grew revenue, suggesting they're all in pretty good health.
1: Wow, that's really interesting. Um, were you surprised by the results? Is it what you were expecting?
0: No, I think when you, you listen to publishers, you uh, do hear you know tales of woe. And um, you know clearly, as I say, it's not an easy market, but um, for 68% of grown revenue was pretty impressive. Um, and in fact, only one of the publishers out of the 25 that replied um, actually saw a decline in revenue more than 5%. So, um, You know, even the the guys that that lost some revenue didn't lose very much.
1: That's really interesting. Um, But what about the US? Is this just research that reflects what's going on in Europe or does it count for the USA as well?
0: Oh, great question. So the truth is, is this is just a a European survey. Um, We did look at both um, Western and Eastern Europe. um, But I suspect the story is very different in the US. And actually, one of the things we'll talk about is um, what's happening with one of the big US publishers in a minute. so I think uh, I think the. US is somewhat different to Europe.
1: Thanks, Mike. So there has obviously been a big shift um, in the US uh, with Core. Can you tell us a bit more about that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, the US does seem to be having a tough time. I mean obviously Aspencor is a global publisher. Um, so they have you know titles around the globe. I mean I think you know 21 IC is one of their better known titles um, over in China. Um, but what's happened is they've let go some of their most well-known journalists. So um, people like Rick Merrick, Clive Maxfield and Steve Piranovic, um have left the publishing house. Um, and in Europe, actually, Jürgen Hübner, who I think is reputed to be you know, one of the best publishers over here, um, has also been made redundant. Um, and at the same time, one of their, uh, I think, best known salespeople, Bob Dumas, um, also resigned in the States. So a lot of people leaving.
1: So why is this significant? Like, how does this affect the future of Core?
0: Well, I think it's interesting. I mean, most people believe that Aspencore probably isn't profitable. And some of the comments um, that Yunko Yoshida made when she was talking about these layoffs um, suggest that's the case. Um, but I think clearly that there's a new editorial strategy. Um, I suspect uh, they're probably looking less uh, to generate um, high quality, in-depth um, articles in-house um, they're more focused on news, and uh, without a doubt, I think they've got a greater focus on growing their business in the Far East. Um, and all of these may be valid things um, to do. So it, it may not be a bad idea, but obviously for those of us in the West, it's disappointing to see um, you know such well-known editors leaving their jobs.
1: Very disappointing. So obviously, you're saying we've lost some of the, the best journalists, kind of within the industry. What is the impact of this? Are we going to see any change? Uh, do you think the quality of content is going to decline um, or are they just putting the trust in that they're still going to produce the same level of content without these journalists?
0: Well, that's a great question. I think you know it's going to be hard to generate the kind of quality of content these guys wrote because they, they were genuinely some of the best in the industry. Having said that, without a doubt, there are still some great journalists left at E! time. So Um, they still have some very strong uh, resources in terms of generating their own content. Um, But it'd be interesting to see. I think perhaps more interesting is the impact um, that being owned by Arrow has had. So initially, I think Arrow was uh, making use of uh, the publications um, to both grow their database um, and also influence potential lines. Um, And now I think, you know, the the reality has come home that uh, under Arrow, um, the publications aren't making money um, and clearly Arrow as a public company needs to do something about it. So I suspect, uh, you know, there's a little bit of reorganisation, a little bit of cost saving and perhaps a, a little bit of change of strategy as well.
1: Well, it's definitely something we need to keep our eye on and, and see what happens in the future.
0: Definitely. I agree. It's, it's, it will be interesting to see what the next step is from Arrow. I mean, hopefully um, they'll continue investing and, and the publications will, will start growing again.
1: That's what we like to hear. Well, let's move away from the electronics press industry for a moment and focus on some of your marketing trends findings. I know you recently attended the HubSpot inbound event and gained some great insight um, into the continued growth with account-based marketing.
0: Yeah, um, well, it's interesting, actually. I read recently that uh, I think it was the VP of marketing for Pardo um, has decided that account-based marketing should now be called account-centric marketing. And I always feel that when you've got something that people start rebranding, then clearly it's, it's kind of hit the mainstream. And to me, you know, the, the big thing we saw was was the size of ABM campaigns um, and companies where they saw success with ABM growing the number of uh, target customers in their ABM campaigns.
1: Um, and how are they doing that? What, what are they doing to target, um, you know, bigger clients on a, on a higher level?
0: Yeah, great question. I, I think actually ABM is, is a lot simpler in most instances than people think. Um, conceptually, people are targeting customers either through um, direct mail, which is clearly easy, um, email if they have contacts, or perhaps um, programmatically using uh, you know, a platform like LinkedIn, uh, which is clearly one of the biggest for ABM. Um, so the, the process is fairly simple. I think what is difficult is scaling up. Um, For example, I listened to a a presentation by Sigstra that actually developed a thousand customized landing pages, um, each one targeting a different um, specific account. Um, And clearly, you know, generating one landing page is fairly straightforward, Um, generating a thousand, even with. Tools that are available today is incredibly complicated.
1: And would you say, you know, spending all that time building these landing pages is actually worth the results that they've gained from the experience, or is it just a waste of time?
0: Well, I, I guess that's the, the question we're, we're all wondering about. Um, you know, certainly when you um, listen to the presentations, people are talking about fantastic ROI um, from their ABM campaigns, um, and that is, to be honest. Backed up by industry research and also backed up by our own experience, so um, you know it, it, I think it's still early days, I think it's very hard to compare, but my honest opinion is is that um, ABM will be one of the most effective channels in terms of ROI um, going forward and certainly is something everyone should be looking at.
1: that's some really interesting insight Mike and, and I'm sure um, other companies um, are also seeing great results from ABM. Um, But let's move on. Um, Why don't we have a chat about marketing silos?
0: Sure. I mean, this is something I've been talking about for a while. You know, um, previously, um, companies always thought in terms of the way content was distributed because distribution typically was expensive. Um, But now, I I mean, increasingly as an agency, we're we're thinking about content development and content distribution as being our two core competencies, Um, and that's really because, Distribution is becoming easier with digital uh, technology, um, but content development is still time consuming and expensive, particularly high quality content development. Um, and so it's so important to once you have develop something to be able to reuse it across a, mul- uh, a multitude of different tactics.
1: So moving forward, you know, this is the way forward. As an agency, what, what are we trying to do to cater to clients on this?
0: Well, I think the main thing we're trying to do is help clients think beyond, um, you know, a campaign is a particular tactic um, and think much more about reaching a target audience and all the different ways they could do that. Um, You know, typically, once you've generated the content and you've got, uh, you know, one channel working, maybe that's email, um, it can be very easy to then promote the same content, for example, um, through uh, online advertising or, you know, even targeted um, as ABM. Um, so I think it's, it's all about thinking about content reuse um, and how you can make use of content through different channels um, rather than thinking about individual tactics. And this is, you know, for example, this is an email campaign. This is an advertising campaign.
1: And do we think we're seeing great results from this? Is, is this approach working?
0: That's, that's a good question. I think the, the thing it absolutely does is massively increase the return on investment. Um, And the reason for that is our clients are having to invest less to run more campaigns. Um, If you're generating content for each campaign, it's very expensive. If you're able to reuse and repurpose content, um, and then suddenly the campaign costs can um, be reduced quite considerably. So clearly that helps massively increase the return on investment.
1: That sounds brilliant. and Definitely a a step in the right direction of what we want to achieve.
0: Definitely. Definitely. I think also um, people are finding that, having the same clear messaging uh, across a number of channels also makes the uh, the campaign more effective so it's not just a it's not just a cost thing it's also a, a, you know increasing results as well so you you kind of get um, you know basically benefit on both sides of the coin
1: that's some interesting stuff. Thank you, Mike. OK, why don't we talk um, some briefly about some other trends now? You know, it's clear to see that both influencers for B2B technology um, and podcasts have gained momentum. Um, would you agree?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is interesting. Um, if you looked, um, you know, a couple of years ago, there were virtually no podcasts um, really targeting uh, the B2B tech market. Um, perhaps there was some, to be honest, in the IT sector, but in the engineering side, there wasn't. Um, And increasingly now, more and more people I see, you know, listening to podcasts in our industry, as well as consumers. So I definitely think that that is a growing trend. Um, And it's an indication of the ability of individuals to become influencers. Um, And to be honest, this is still very early stages, particularly in um, an industry like electronics, um, where basically most of the content being shared is being shared through conventional media. Um, But I certainly think, um, you know, influence are going to grow uh, both in importance um, and also um, grow their followings as well.
1: You know, I've heard a rumour that um, Napier is actually featuring on some podcasts soon.
0: Yeah, yeah. we've actually been asked to um, appear on a couple of marketing podcasts, but uh, we'll see how that goes. If, If it works out well, then we'll obviously share the links. But if not, I will try and hide them.
1: Um, So what else um, have we seen as we make our way through the um, last quarter of 2019?
0: Um, Well, I think one of the things we're seeing is, from my point of view, a little bit of sanity, really, in terms of uh, measuring campaigns. So um, people are focusing on better and simpler metrics. um, And increasingly, um, we're seeing uh, clients and other companies recognising that just going, for example, for the maximum number of clicks doesn't always make the best campaign. Um, So clients are focusing, you know, very simply down onto metrics that that make a difference. So it could be, for example, registrations, um, or it could even be sales uh, in campaigns. Um, And as part of that with simpler metrics, it becomes easier to uh, create marketing dashboards because you've got a more consistent set of metrics across different tactics. Um, And so, again, we're seeing uh, some clients looking into building marketing dashboards, um, really for the whole marketing operation. Um, which is great uh, when you can get that working.
1: That's some great insight. Thanks, Mike. So to finish, let's take a look um, at some key inbound tips and tricks that you've uncovered. Would you like to share?
0: Yeah, definitely. So um, at inbound, we had some uh, great sessions talking about how to, um, you know, make campaigns more effective. Um, I think there, there were a couple of things that I found particularly interesting. One was a session talking about LinkedIn advertising. Um, and uh, there the uh, speaker was very keen to share um, the results that he sees through the different formats um, of advertising. Uh, So actually, if you look at um, what they were seeing, for example, sponsored content might get a click-through rate of 4%, um, but text ads were 1 40th of a percent. So um, a massive difference in terms of click-through rates, although actually sponsored content typically costs more per click. Um, but he was talking about this and, and the different approaches, which was very interesting. We wrote a blog post on that. Uh, I also saw more and more people um, talking about moving the initial sales approach away from sales and into marketing. So effectively, during marketing nurturing campaigns, uh, companies are increasingly sending emails as though they came from the appropriate salesperson. Um, and this is certainly something HubSpot's doing um, and claiming it is an incredibly effective tactic and, and something we're looking at doing both for Napier and also with our clients.
1: Thanks, Mike. That that was some really interesting insights. Um, could you share why do you think the connection emails are so successful?
0: So the, the connection emails, emails from salespeople, um, I, I think it's becoming more of a marketing tech tactic rather than a sales tactic. Um, and clearly, you know, it, it's a it typically is a very simple, straightforward email. Um, and it's very focused on getting uh, the recipient to either click through and request a meeting or a call, or maybe reply to the email. So I think it benefits from two ways: one, it's quite personal, um, and secondly, the uh, the email also is very focused. It never to be very focused, so it helps marketers write an email that's clearly focused on achieving one objective. And, and we all know uh, the more you can focus on one objective in any kind of piece of marketing content, the more effective that's likely to be.
1: That's brilliant. Thank you. Um, You know, this is where we're going to finish today. Uh, We've left a link um, to our Trends page so you can read in more detail about what we've discussed today. Um, We hope our insights have been helpful for you.
0: Thanks very much, Hannah. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing B2B Tech. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and if you did, please make sure you subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast application. If you'd like to know more, please visit our website at napierb2b.com